What's up, y'all? It's your boy DSD, and we're here with another edition of our podcast. We're rolling in with episode number 20, and we actually have a decent amount of stuff to talk about. Kyle, what's up, man? What is going on, Cam? It is uh, middle of August Thursday, which, as you said, traditionally, there wouldn't be that much to talk about. But uh, yeah, if we do run out of topics at some point, I can uh, start talking about your Boston Red Sox blowing a 10 and a half game lead in the division within six. I was going to leave that for my final thought. I was going to leave that for my final thought and completely take a poop on them. I I wanted to. Damn, I'm I. How we didn't even talk about this off air either, which is no, crazy. We, I we was talked gonna... for like a half hour before, and I didn't even bring <laughs> that up. The largest, the the fastest double digit lead collapse. In, this is my stat of the day, by the way. The the Red Sox had the largest double di- or the sorry the fastest double digit lead collapse in a division in the wild card history, which goes back to 2013. So, the largest collapse in what the wild card or the no, the fastest collapse in the wild yeah. card era by the Boston it's Red just, Sox. All right, so do so you want me to talk, talk about it now or do you want to leave it on for final thoughts? Let's save it for the final thoughts because okay. I, I, I do want to get to this Malice at the Palace documentary because okay. we had a great right. conversation about that <laughs> off air. All right, so for people who don't know, they came out with this um, documentary called Malice at the Palace and on, uh, on Netflix. I think I already said that, but whatever. So... I looked into it a little bit more before we get into the documentary because I don't want to. I don't want to like give any spoilers or anything, but it's not even a spoiler. It's more of just yeah, like a it's documentary. A, it's a piece. spoiler, but the fight has existed for eighteen yeah. years and ends up actually becoming one of the most defining moments in the last twenty years of the NBA. Like, yeah, definitely. If we're looking back so, at it, it's Malice at the Palace. It's the Supersonics moving from Seattle. Like, it's yeah. Donald Sterling. Like, it's one of the most iconic moments yeah. in the last twenty years. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, so I, so first of all, my, my wife loves this stuff, right? So it's, it's really kind of fun cause I'm a sports nerd. We all know this. So the fact that she enjoys it too, makes it really good. So she's never heard of it before. She never knew what happened. And I'm like, you are in for a treat today. This may be the, mo- not even, not only the most defining moment in basketball for the past you know, decade plus, or more, bro, it might be in sports. I, I can't remember a moment just off the top of the head that hits harder than that one moment. So it's rare that there's a singular moment you can point to where massive change across the sports landscape yeah. exists. So, so the first thing I didn't realize that that team was the best team in the NBA. I didn't realize that. I didn't, and I also didn't realize that the year before, they were supposed to win. Yep. So and then the Pistons and Pacers played the Pistons, in the yeah. conference finals. Yeah, and then and then and then I didn't realize that that was the team that they played against in the conference finals in the first game they played the next year. And then something in the documentary that they they smoked them. The Pacers were up by like, you know, 20 points or whatever. And then Someone on the Pacers looked at Ron Artest and was like, you can get your hard foul now, which is just like the worst that you could ever tell Ron Artest. But I guess it's not totally that kid's, that guy's fault, but that's where it all started. So one thing led to another. He fouls, uh, I forget who it he was. It was Ben Wallace, right? Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace. Yeah. Who's a beast, by the way. But yeah. Hall of Famer ha- Ben Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Hammers him. And I'm pretty sure that Ben Wallace 
there was like some not to go too super deep in the documentary, but like I think that his mom just died or something, so he was like really in a bad place in that moment. So it was like literally every single thing had to go wrong for this to happen. From what I noticed. So Bree, my wife, is like holy crap. This is unbelievable. So so the part when he punches that guy that looks like Turtle in the face, who's yeah, uh, the, the turtle, turtle face guy wearing a Pistons jersey who yeah. squared up with him on the floor and yeah. then Ron Artest beat him up and then his friend was there and then Jermaine O'Neal comes in and punches his friend like sucker no, punched. No, no, he missed him. He missed. So it's part of the story. He missed, but he kind of connected, but he missed. And somebody, I think it was Reggie Miller or somebody was like, the fact that he missed is so fortunate to Jermaine O'Neal because if he connected, he, he could have literally killed the guy because he ran over and hit him like sucker punched him. Yeah, like running over, sliding on the floor and yeah. connecting what looks like from the camera angle of the move or the camera angle from TV, like it looks like he gets him square in the face. So so he does connect, but he doesn't hit him like square because so he slipped and which by him slipping caused him to not make full connection. But the point we're trying to get at is that everything went wrong. So it was so eye opening. Of, I didn't realize how good Ron Artest was at that time. First of all, I just didn't put two and two together that Ron Artest was like the, that guy at that time. And I didn't realize that Jermaine O'Neal playing for the Trailblazers was like a bench piece. Jermaine O'Neal was, was unbelievable. And they also said in the, the movie, or the documentary rather, that Jermaine O'Neal was the most affected by all of this. Because everybody else ended up, I mean, besides Reggie Miller, because Reggie Miller didn't win a championship. But, you know, like Steven Jackson, I think, went to the Spurs after this. Uh, Ron Artest goes to the Lakers, wins a couple, I think. And then Jermaine O'Neal just, like, didn't do anything. After that, his career kind of Yeah, he just kind of he's... bounced around to a few teams. And that was, by, like, 2013, that was the end of his career after he'd gotten, like, a six-year contract extension or something yeah. from the Pacers. Yeah, oh, it was so good, though. So, like, I, I think they did a really good job of uh, uh, portraying it. So, throughout the documentary, I so I really, like, I almost take notes during these because I just think they're so interesting and they can help me with my content. So, I'm, like, watching for specific stuff. And I didn't feel like at all they were directing you in either way of, the do- of like, player versus fan. So, at first, I kind of got the vibe they were trying to, like, sway you to the player. Being like, oh, feel bad for Ron Artest, feel bad for Jermaine O'Neal. But then they brought in the turtle guy and literally interviewed him. And him, you know, he's like something like, oh, I had a bad day that day, you know, all this stuff. And he's like basically trying to play the, you know, boohoo me card. And the fact that he goes on the court and clenches his fist is enough for me that Ron Artest should have punched him in the face. I'm not telling you that the, that, that the, the, the Pacers were in the wrong. I mean, I did anything uh, right. that sh- They should get in trouble for that. But uh, Ron Artest got a year suspension for that, which I can understand. But the, the video is so chaotic that 
There's there's drinks getting dumped on the players. There's like, dude, the police went on the court and were trying to tase the players. There's Jamal and Tinsley like, running out with a dustpan in the middle of the fight, yeah. which is one of the great videos of all time. Because what are you going to do with a tiny dustpan? Are you going to yeah. start hitting people over the head with it? <laughs> the best part of the entire thing that did not get enough publicity <laughs> is when Steven Jackson walks in the locker room, sits down. Ron Artest yep. looks, looks at him and just kind of leans over and goes, do you think we're going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> there, Steven Jackson told that story for the first time a few years ago on um, on Highly Questionable with Dan yeah. and Bomani Jones. That is, that is the funniest thing, but they didn't like enhance it at all. They just kind of left it at that, and I paused it. I was like, Bree, did you hear what he just said yeah that was my reaction the first time hearing it too was just on my couch as like a 10th grader (laughs) and just hysterically laughing yeah obviously you're gonna get in trouble ron i mean like 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 his follow-up his there's a follow-up to it where he's like i said ron we'd be lucky if we still have a job after this i'm pretty sure he did say that too actually but like it was just it was very still have a job at the end of this night and uh, it's fantastic and then the police show up in the locker room and oh yeah they try to arrest Jermaine O'Neal so um real quick um to kind of close it up there was a private investigator which oh another thing actually I I, I want to touch on this as well dude David Stern does not get enough publicity for being the shadiest SOB out there I can tell you a story about that afterwards about how shady it really got but go ahead first what he did so he deserves a lot of credit for making the NBA what it was right like he definitely is like pre-Adam Silver right of course 1984 like three decades he's I think he said his best friend is still Magic Johnson like after all because of what they did to build the NBA yeah what yeah what David Stern did to like grow the game is like insurmountable he just deserves all the credit but what he did to get there is so shady. I actually saw a documentary on this, or maybe like a YouTube clip that was like a 30-minute one of all the weird things that David Stern did. And it's just like super shady, but whatever. So he comes down on these, on these, uh, basically lays the hammer down on these players, gives them huge fines, whatever. And basically suspends it for the full year. Then a new, uh, like a, like a lawyer comes in or maybe before or whatever a different to defend the players. He said it was harder than a, than a murder case because they had to find all of the angles from people doing all these things. So they had like, I don't know, like a hundred different camera angles they had to go through. It was crazy. And basically he found all these things of why the players were not, um, even didn't do anything wrong. But the the, first, the number one one that really blew my mind was, I don't know if you guys remember this, the first scene of Ron Artest running into the stands, basically someone, so he's laying down on the, on the score stage, which you and I talked off air, was a, was a technique that he did to basically calm himself down. He's going through his breathing techniques and people thought he was being a punk, but he wasn't. He was legit just being like trying to calm himself down. Yeah. How can Some I guy de-escalate throws, the situation? Yeah, Exactly. Some guy throws a, you know, like like a water or some sort of drink at him. He runs in the stands and punches some random guy in the face. That random guy had nothing to do with it, which is so 
brutal. Which is funny <laughs> because that- <laughs> of that fight that happened over the weekend at the Rams game where uh, the lady threw the cup and then the oh, guy yeah. started yeah. taking out <laughs> yes, four people yes. and she walked yes. away from it. It was legit the same guy, but they found the guy and they, he thought it was funny, which is that guy's the worst. But I don't quote me on this, but I feel like I've heard a story about Ron Artest reaching out to that guy. Like the guy that he punched in the face inadvertently, thinking it was him, and they're like, they like went on like like a like like you know like a lunch date or something. I, I'm not sure about that, but I remember he, I remember reading that or hearing that somewhere. But the documentary is excellent; it's so good. But what I was trying to get at originally was that um, basically I was reading that the Player Tribune was like behind this, and they may make a series out of this and basically bring in other documentaries and other sports moments. Let me just tell you, this was legit the like my peak. This is like what I want. It's like 30 for 30s, but like raw, unedited. It was amazing. Yeah. And to follow up on that point, that Ron Artest apparently did reach out to the guy back in 2009 about apologizing for what happened at the mouse at the palace. So you would be correct. Oh, oh so did he actually end up going out to lunch with him or anything or no? Like, I remember I mean, reading I he like look into it further, but it looks like you're okay. right. Just a quick Google search looks like you're probably remembering that correctly. Because I remember Ron Artest, because like, because like, people also don't realize that Ron Artest had like some severe depression, anxiety. That was they went into that at length. So I think that was a really good character move on that on their part in the documentary team, because it really kind of painted the picture of why Ron Artest was so different. And they didn't realize that Ron Artest found an awakening like after his playing career, really. And now he's a different person. You could tell during the whole documentary. He's like, yeah, I was really, I I didn't even know how to control it at that time. I was afraid. I was scared. You know, all these things. He's like admitting to all these, you know, wrongful doings that he did. So I I give him a ton of credit for that because that's really hard to do. I think you'd love listening to Ricky Williams talk now because Ricky Williams articulates a lot of similar type stuff about how, he I was love Ricky Williams. He too. was a, a awkward, clunky kid who, you know, if he could do it all over again, coming out of if he could go back to 1998 when he won the Heisman Trophy at Texas and was going to go back to school and he would have just told his younger self, let's just leave for a year. Let's just go to Europe. Let's just travel the world, leave football for a year, come back and go to the draft if he had to do it all over again. Like he needed yeah. that at that time in his life. And it's really weird to hear someone articulate it just because I'm just not used to it. It's it yeah, makes, when people it's, when people find this like so this like therapeutic awakening is is so amazing to me. So to get, share a little personal experience, I have really bad depression and anxiety as well. And I'm what they call a actively functioning depressed person. And it just kind of comes on here and there. So I can really relate to run our test. So I got. I basically, I didn't get fired from a job, but basically like I was going to get fired or let go. And then I quit like inadvertently, like, or like it's it's not inadvertently, sorry, at the same time. That's that's the word I was looking for. Just basically right at the same time when they were going to let me go, I quit and it just, I broke down. It was a really hard job. Then I went to therapy and I really had to kind of find that emotional awakening as well. And now that I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's you're never going to find that a hundred percent. You're never going to be fully awakened. You're always going to be needed to work on it. But being self-aware is something that people misunderstand what being self-aware is compared to 
what common sense is. Common sense is like something that you can go out and you're like in public and you know how to do certain things. But being self-aware is like you can look in the mirror and be like, this is my 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 flaw or this is something that bothers me. And the fact that Ron Artest, who was on a pillar of – like at that time, Ron Artest might be one of the most – you know, recognizable names. Like, I feel like everyone knows who Ron Artest is. Yeah, he's an all-star. He's the next generation of guys with Kobe Bryant and all them. Yeah. Yeah, and he was, like, a defensive all a defensive, like, he might have, did he even win defensive play of the year? Or he was, he must, he might have been in that conversation, but whatever. But the point I'm trying to get at is that it's just an amazing thing, and I was really happy to see that, because, like, I think that sports therapy is something that is needed more, because these guys are just at under a microscope, trying to like push through it like the fact that you know he can admit to that I think is really kind of heroic and I felt really good about that you are correct Ron Artest won defensive player of the year the year before and which uh, is crazy like yeah he's unbelievable bro there's no there's no good way to transition out of that but do you want to hear Sorry. the David do you no it's all good do you want to hear the David Stern story yes, though I would love to so Dave, you're right David Stern did some weird sh- and to be honest Part of the reason why they had to wait 17 years to make the documentary is because David Stern would not release the footage of the Malice at the Palace from the NBA offices, which he had the authority to do. I did not know that. And Jermaine O'Neal was asked about it in an interview talking about the documentary and basically deflected the question on how did you get access to the video from the NBA? And it seems like they kind of just had to... They, they kind of had to be quiet about it, both from Adam Silver and whoever's working the NBA media uh, or NBA film, whatever it is. But they basically they got footage with some sort of back workings with the NBA. So the story about David Stern is the other massive scandal that would plague David Stern's time as commissioner or like a crisis that he would face, which is the Tim Donahue scandal about the referee who was fixing Oh, he games. was in there too, by the way. He was in the documentary. Tim Donahue was? I'm pretty sure I saw him. And I'm like, Bree, is that Tim Donahue? She goes, yeah. Hold on, I'm going to look into it while you're doing this because I'm pretty sure I saw him. Pretty sure. That would be kind of weird. But anyway, so they, they, um, they made this really good podcast series about Tim Donahue and the whole scandal around it and referees and sports being more entertainment than athletic competition than we'd like to admit and all of this stuff. And one of the things that was super revealing from the story was that the FBI was investigating the Tim Donahue scandal and they reached out to the NBA for, I I don't know why it was now. It was either for someone to cooperate or to let them know that there was an ongoing investigation. I couldn't remember what the reason was, but it felt like a misstep in hindsight by the FBI. And this was on, I want to say, July 14th of 2007. Just ballparking it, I want to say it was July 14th, 2007. The FBI informs the NBA that there's an ongoing investigation with the cooperation of Tim Donahue, who was like, there was a, a moment where he was going to like wear a wire and go into NBA locker rooms and like snitch on referees who were betting on games. And it was super crazy. So the NBA on July 14th, let's say gets information that that is happening on July 16th, two days later, 
they announce a new long-term extension with their media partners for seven years, a year before their contracts were set to expire with ESPN and Turner. Negotiate a seven-year extension on their media rights deal for like double what they were making before. And then on July 20th, someone in the NBA leaks to the New York Post that the Tim Donahue scandal is going on. And then it becomes a massive story. Crazy. And the NBA leaks it to do damage minimization because by leaking yeah, it to the by leaking it to the media that this Donahue thing was going on, they could um, scapegoat Donahue and ruin the FBI investigation because now everyone knows that Donahue is a black sheep and is immediately fired. And so the NBA does some real sneaky backdoor dealings to negotiate their new TV contract and do damage minimization on the Donahue scandal. To do full circle here, he was in the documentary. Really? That's so strange. Yeah, but like it wasn't through the NBA, so like he's completely I what is I think it is the player tribune, I'm pretty sure is the yeah, it's a uh, Players Tribune, and, and Steven Jackson and Jermaine O'Neal were working behind it. They were part of the production company. and But 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 so, but so what I'm trying to get at is that it had nothing to do with the NBA, which is why I liked it so much, because it was like there was legitimately no ties. Having Tim Donahue there, who's a disgraced ref, is pretty obvious to me that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually they, kind they of— They did that I'm intentionally. Actually, they did that yeah. intentionally to get Donahue in there. I actually can't believe he was there. So I saw him. I, I just forgot to take a full circle around it because I remember seeing him. I'm like, is that him? And she's like, yeah. And then I just never looked back into it. But it is him. I can confirm it. I forget what Tim Donahue does now, but he like he, he like works a regular job now. His family lives in Florida. Like he's pretty much pivoted off of that. And he did this. He did. He was in this. um this um, podcast documentary basically and they kind of like ditched him at the end because they didn't make him look too good and yeah it was super interesting to have that but David Stern might have done some like borderline illegal shit to get that NBA television contract bro we know it's it's fair to say that we know David Stern basically suspended Jordan and that's why he got he, he, he retired for the there's no way then he would retire in the middle of the year. Bro, I, I just like, I, I'm not a person who believes in conspiracies. I'm really not. But that one just makes too much sense to me. I don't know. I don't think I know what you're talking about here specifically. Oh, okay. So when Jordan retires for a year and goes to play the MLB, the conspiracy is that he got suspended because uh, for the year because he had to be due to the something with gambling related where they oh, think yeah. he bet they on mentioned, himself. They mentioned that in the last dance. Yeah, they like, yeah. couldn't understand it. They had to do that because, bro, why would Jordan retire in the middle of his prime? There's no... there For someone who's so hell-bent on sports, I mean, on uh, basketball, I just... Okay, here's the thing. I think I, I so from the last dance, I te- I mean the, the the last dance is propaganda for Nike and the NBA and, and Jordan and and yeah. Jordan and and, and, and like Scottie Pippen even came out and said that like it was good. I liked it a lot, but Scottie Pippen was even like he the whole thing was portrayed about how great Jordan is. Of course, yeah, but that was kind of the it was propaganda more than anything else. It wasn't a real yeah. documentary, but no. With that being said, I did tend to believe the documentary when they talked about how. Jordan was mentally 
drained from his father's death was that his father was killed in July of 1993 and then he retired two months later. But let's put it this way. Let's put it this way that they had they brought. So there's two parts of this. I would not be stunned because if it this particular one wasn't true, right? Because it's so outlandish, it's kind of crazy. But David Stern has had so many other situations that, like, we could draw a line and be like, that doesn't make any sense. Or why would he do that? Or, you know, he's trying to protect his brand. The part that I don't, that just doesn't make sense to me is why Jordan would retire in the middle of his prime. And I get this father was murdered. Like I, I would never understand how you know how that happens. But the fact that or how you would deal with that, the fact that they went over that in the last dance, and they even brought up the part where, you know, um, how Jordan's father got murdered due to gambling or whatever, and they were literally like, the fact that people were even bringing up that it was because of Jordan's gambling should be ashamed of themselves, which I would agree. But the fact that they bring that up means that. It's a it's like a, a thing. It, it's out. It's there. a thing. You know what I'm saying? It's a thing. Even if it's totally outlandish, is that if enough yes. people start to believe it, we have to start yes. paying attention to it, which we don't. It's out but there. We do. It's out there. Whether I agree with it or not, that part with his his dad being murdered due to his gambling does, which could be completely wrong, and is and it well, feels it, very no, strong. No, let's let's be clear. It is the, the the story of how Jeffrey Jordan got murdered was that he was sleeping in his car on the side of the road, and two kids were going to rob him, and then one of them accidentally shot him because he got startled awake. That's the story of how he got murdered. Like they kind of figured that out, and the reason okay. the reason they caught the kids is because they stole a bunch of stuff from the car, including his cell phone and one of Michael Jordan's. Um, not championship rings. It was a different type of ring, but they basically okay. stole a bunch of shit and then found the two kids. Well, I think one of so, them just got out of jail. I think like in the so, last two years. Yeah. So, so, but like, I feel like that one was a little outlandish, but the point I'm trying to get at is originally is, and that's, I'm, I'm actually happy that you knew that. Thank you for bringing that up. But the, the point I'm trying to get at originally is that if it's out there, it's out there. Like that's just not, some people make some stuff up obviously, but like, it just makes too much sense to me. Why would Jordan retire in the middle of the season? I'm, I just, I don't know, bro. Jordan, all he cares about is winning. Uh, you know, like that's all they portrayed about him. Then he retires in the middle of his prime to go play baseball. And then they also try to paint that he's a good baseball player. Bro, he, no, he was not. Like, no, he was horrible. And he, and, and the only reason why he was, he was there is because the, the, the Bulls owner owned the White Sox, which I'm, is that true? I yes. Feel like yeah. I, Jerry I'm, Reinsdorf okay. does own the White Sox. And it was a publicity thing. Obviously, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah, I think, Why they, would you I take think him? they paid him the same amount of money he would have gotten from the Bulls. I think they paid him like $3 million to go play minor league baseball or something. Yeah. Well, dude, I just. I'm really not big on conspiracies because I think conspiracies sometimes can be damaging and they're not fair sometimes. But with all David Stern has done with his shadiness, it just wouldn't surprise me. Why do you think we all have the conspiracy theories about fixed uh, lotteries? Where do you think that came from? It just comes from David Stern being a shady-ass dude. But it also makes too much sense, bro. It just makes too much sense. That's why... Like, like, like with the Anthony Davis one, that makes too much sense. He's a... I, Anthony Davis is a borderline generational player. Like, he... Like, like talk about your top of your generation thing. But 
Yeah, I don't know, bro. But we kind of knew. <laughs> we all knew Anthony Davis was on that trajectory. He was the surefire yeah. number one pick in that draft. And he goes to the team that happens to be owned by the league or LeBron James going to the Cleveland Cavaliers or I mean, bro, like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal is kind of a troll. But his story is funny about during the lottery. He asked David Stern walked up to him. He's like, do you want to go to a place that's warm or a place that's cold? And he said, well, of course, I want to go to a place that's warm. And he kind of winked and nodded to him. And then the last two teams were Orlando and Minnesota. Or I'm sorry, Orlando, Minnesota and Charlotte. And he ends up going to Orlando and he's like, conspiracy. <laughs> so uh, Shaquille O'Neal well, liked to play. Into yeah, that. but Shaquille O'Neal is, is, is known for this. But like, you know what I'm saying, though, right? You, you, you get the oh, point of course. I'm no, to get at that. I love playing that, the game of why the NBA is why the NBA did what it did. I love but, doing that but with lotteries. Because of the NBA. So there's two parts of this. The NBA is super sketchy, super shady. We all know this. But because of that. It's one of the most powerful sports in the world now because now Adam Silver is borderline the greatest, you know, freaking yeah, well, executive now it is. Now it doesn't have to be shady because now they're exactly. a corporation, which corporations because, do have to be shady sometimes, but they don't have but, to no, do But it. David Stern did all the dirty work where I'm trying to get at. But everyone forgets this, that Adam Silver was very much involved with a lot of this stuff back in the day. He was the executive, like the, the like deputy he was like the, basically the one yeah. below him. everyone jo- everyone jokes adam silver knows where the bodies are buried that's basically yes. the joke it's but is it wrong i mean he definitely does know where the bodies are buried but let's put it this way he is basically the theo epstein of uh uh the nba theo epstein's a perfect mix of the analytics but he can also see you know use yeah. the eye test he's and Adam Silver wears the white glove and he's friends with the players and underneath the white glove is an iron fist that will negotiate that will strong arm the players into starting the season in, on December 23rd. Like and he the did players like still somehow respect him. It's it's a very fair line that you have to be drawn at, but he is amazing. And that's why and that's why, you know, completely segueing, that's why we need Theo Epstein to be the commissioner of baseball. But that's the next conversation would be kind of a different day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what his qualifications are, but I don't know what anyone's qualifications are to be yeah, the commissioner yeah, like, of baseball. Yeah, because, yeah, like Tom Warner, who is the, uh, he owns the Red Sox or part owns the Red Sox. He was yeah. an exec. He was, he was potentially, and I'm like, dude, this dude is a, like, like the qualifications for being, being a commissioner in baseball, in my opinion, you should know the damn game. You should it's, understand it's what you're well, doing. The reason the the basically the main the biggest job of the commissioner, other than like Goodell being a meat shield for the the owners, is yeah. can you can you negotiate a television contract? Because yeah. that's where seventy five percent of the Roger revenue Goodell, comes from. That's why Roger Goodell will never get fired because yeah. he's too good at that. And Roger Goodell's really good at being a meat shield for the NFL. Is that the owners can and put people him don't in realize front. that. Yeah. People don't realize that. It's so funny you say that. I'm really, I'm actually happy you brought that up because Roger Goodell is exactly what the owners want him to be, and that's why the 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 NFL is one of the most fraudulent, 
like sports out there because they make it sound like it's all you know Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell. Roger. No, it's the owners are telling him what they want him to do. Yeah, the NFL so has like, got people brainwashed a bit more than other sports because in baseball yeah. we we hate on the owners all the time. Like look at these owners and you know a lot of them by name and this is how terrible they are. In football, they're kind of hiding in the shadows because everyone can just deflect their hatred towards Goodell. And baseball well, that's does why it with Goodell Manfred makes fifty too. million a year, dude, because he's like I have to take you know he just takes complete punishment but at the end of the day i don't think even even the people who hate roger goodell won't tell you that i mean will agree that he's like a ridiculously good businessman like he is the fact he can negotiate these deals are for billions and billions of dollars that's why he's never gonna leave while and systematically that, destroying the nfl players union from the inside out by putting pro, so that's by another thing by the anti-union way. lawyers into positions of power in the union that's another thing. I'm really happy you brought that up too. The NFL will always be king for the owners. I mean, whether it's the fans or it's a different conversation, is that their players' union is embarrassingly bad because of how good they got them on one. You know, um, they got them on the deal uh, back in 2011, and then and that's it. That's it. They're never going to – now it's always going to be, okay, you want this? We want this. Okay, you want this back? Yep, we want an extra game. Yeah, the NFL uh, uh, the NFL players are never going to ever get a fair shake be, due to the fact of how poorly their negotiations went in, in that um, – In 2011. Uh, and then yeah. in 2020, they snuck one by them because for the past five years they've been – First of all, Demora Smith is like homies with Roger Goodell, so that's another problem. But they basically they've systematically employed anti-union lawyers within the tops of the players' union, and all of a sudden they snuck a deal by this year that you know it wasn't as bad for the players as 2011, but the way they did it was basically saying we're going to dramatically raise the salary floor of the NFL and we're going to get 60% of the players to vote for that. And only 37% of the players are going to show up to vote for the new collective bargaining agreement. And they didn't get rid of the franchise tag. They didn't get more fully guaranteed contracts. They, they messed up. They're never going to get the guaranteed contracts. They're never hey, going to get that. No, no. Everyone except why? Kirk Cousins. Only Kirk Cousins gets a guaranteed contract. He's <laughs> the only player in the history of the NFL to get that guaranteed contract. So everyone except Kirk Cousins. They're, they're just never the play. I mean, like it's never going to be like an actual like 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 the NBA. You sign a contract. See, the NBA is a true cap league. You you sign a bad contract, you have to sit on that for years. The NBA, the NFL's cap is not even real yeah the, you can well, literally maneuver all of it it's not real if you, it, it it's flexible a little bit but if you're the saints you have to kind of tear up your roster because you're way well it's cap, different when you it's different when you sign too many bad contracts you know you know what i'm saying if yeah. you just do one or two bad ones you're, you can work around that yeah and you can just rip up the contracts in the nfl with minimal exactly. punishments and exactly rookie wage scales and all that stuff that you know is beneficial to the owners but makes it so the players get less than what their market value is. And How did we end up from the pa- malice in the palace to this? This is just how what we do, man. Through David Stern, who uh, <laughs> oh yeah, there who go. also okay. gave the worst the worst interview of any commissioner in the history of sports. When uh, it's also great, you can go find this clip when Jim Rome was asking him about Tim Donahue, and he asked Jim Rome if he still beats his wife, which. 
was not like they didn't edit it anything it just went out and that's like nah, a, J- jim rome has had some of the best interviews though what was that other guy that it caught was calling him he called some other guy by the different name remember that yeah it's in the 90s and then the guy beat him up on the air and like like that <laughs> jim rome like yeah jim rome man jim rome just gets under people's skin I think I can't remember if Vince McMahon almost fought Bob Costas one time, too. But there I think David Stern wins for worst interview by a commissioner in the history of sports for his Tim Donahue response. Yeah, he basically literally on the air like he's asking him questions about that. He's like, do you still beat your wife? And it was really awkward and really weird. Wait, 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 wait. So, so he did that. So he so, did. So he was, uh, he was, Jim on, Rome asked him a question and then he replied back to Jim Rome. Yes. Be your wife. David Stern okay. said that to Jim Rome. And, <laughs> and, and what, is, so is that a fact? Did Jim Rome actually beat his wife? I believe so. Um, <laughs> I believe that oh. is true, but in, in just to throw it out there, I'm not laughing at what him beating his wife. I'm laughing at the fact of the, the fact that it's the weirdest interview of all time. No, it's that. unbelievable. It's just it's unbelievable that that actually happened. This is at the end of David Stern's career too. Like this is like 2012 or something like that. So this was yeah. The NBA was the wild, wild west, bro. It really was. Like especially during that time. Like the, no no matter how you slice it, man. No matter how you slice it, Adam Silver is the best executive you can get. He's perfect. He's perfect, perfect, perfect. And that's why the NBA, in my opinion, could be one of the could be the biggest sport in the world potentially at some day. They actually have international ties. The NFL wants it so bad. They want to get into other countries. It's just never going to connect the way that the NBA does. The NBA has true following in other countries like that you that that I don't think any other sport really can get outside of the NHL because they actually get a lot of their foreign players. But it's just they have the power. They have the negotiation skills. They have the ties. They just they have this international connection that like I don't think other sports can do. I just don't think it can happen. I will say that the bar for leadership really incorporations in America, but the bar for leadership has gotten so low that we see Adam Silver, who's actually a fair more often than not a pretty good leader like they 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 bailed on leadership when it came to the china stuff and i know that that's politically charged now but they did really like flop when it came to the china stuff we're also not like gonna get into this whole thing but we know why they flopped because that's that's that that's like 90 or 40 percent of their revenue comes from there like i don't like I just yeah. the NFL decided or I'm sorry I'm just so used to saying the NFL the NBA <laughs> the NBA decided they weren't in the human rights game they decided that we were going to sit that one out and you know you have to suffer the consequences for it but that was just like one of those moments where we look at like breach and leadership from Adam Silver but because I mean, let's be honest it, it, was, it was it was a blip in the time but like for actual business perspective like let's like that's what I'm trying to say, bro. He finds his way of like picking and choosing his battles and he wins more than he loses. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yes, absolutely. And because the bar for leadership has been set low, Adam Silver is a great leader by the standards of running a nine billion dollar corporation. They also gave Adam Silver the smoothest entrance of all time. They he gets become he gets to become commissioner, and the first thing he does is basically removes Donald Sterling. That basically gave him the opportunity in everybody's eyes to be like, it, right off the jump, we love this guy. While and then negotiating was, a double-sized contract in, in the latest TV negotiations for the NBA back in 2015. Those were his first two things. 
And it's a huge victory for the NBA and for him. And yeah. And, and that's why I think Adam Silver is unbelievable. And I what I like about Adam Silver too, while we're talking about Adam Silver, he seems like a he obviously is a robot to a certain extent when he talks, but he has more human in him than like Roger Goodell. So like the whole thing, and, and I'm we're not gonna get into like the, the the you know the yeah. inside of it, but with but with the Rachel Nichols thing. He comes out and says, I don't think anyone should get fired or or off of one comment. Whether you agree with that or not, that is him being a human being. I I like the fact that he actually, the Theo Epstein theory, he has analytics, he can see the numbers, but he can also see what he feels. Another example is that rule where that they changed in the NBA recently about how you they're not going to call as many offensive foul or uh fouls yeah on. the, the trey young rule basically yeah so that is him realizing that the fans are pissed about it and he's gonna say okay you know what we're gonna change it i feel like other gm uh, other owners may um executives may follow the theory if it do, if it's not broke don't fix it type of thing but he's always trying to improve his game that's why I, that's why i think he's amazing of course i think adam silver has bought himself a lot of leeway in that way and or in that camp and it's this is going to be an interesting time for him just because it's a changing time in the league as a whole. Like for the first time during his commissionership, Chris Paul is no longer president of the Players Association and the NBA is now into a new era with younger people and a different yeah. group of stars, which David Stern didn't quite pivot as well with that as we saw no. by his beef with Allen Iverson and then the malice at the palace and what the, the stain on his legacy that comes after that. So I'm interested to see what the next step is for Adam Silver as he, but if I'm willing to bet on it, Adam Silver is going to nail it because also let's add to the fact that he, you know, he has his connection with the players. And I think that the newer generation players aren't super different from the older generation players in the eyes of like, you know, public relations, excuse me, public relations, all this type of stuff. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I really like Adam Silver, obviously, but I just think he does. I think he, he wins way more than he loses. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. And the other part with Goodell that's interesting is that they don't let Goodell show his personality. They made, no. they made Goodell swallow. Cause Goodell kind of made it his like mission as commissionership was that he wanted more black representation in the NFL and that was kind of his thing, but at a certain point, the owners would kind of seal him up. And obviously, Kaepernick charges all of it because the owner, because yeah, the NFL I, I becomes to touch on that too. Yeah, the NFL becomes the leading corporation in America of anti-Black Lives Matter, and Goodell kind of has to sit it out because of owners. He knows ownership's not going to sign Colin Kaepernick, and he doesn't want to so get me, into a fight with the president. Let me give you an example. This is not even trying to get political or any, or even opinionated, just in general. So, the Colin Kaepernick thing happens. He's kneeling, right? The NFL was so against it. This was like the first thing, because that's what the owners wanted, because the owners go by public opinion. They do not care about what is right and what's wrong. Whatever's popular, they're going to do it, because that's going to help them make more money. Get that through your head, guys. It does not matter what you actually what they actually believe. They're just going to do what works best for their pocket. So they were against the kneeling because that was the that was the um, you know the winning argument at that time. The society was mad at that, and then now it's not as popular to or it's 
the other way, basically, where the kneeling is good, whatever. Now yeah, they are pro. They are pro social justice because the NFL players strong armed Roger Goodell into giving a statement from his basement saying we were wrong, but also not saying Colin Kaepernick's name because they might have settled out of court with a non disclosure agreement and all that stuff. Where the NFL pivoted because, like you said, their corporation that had to go with the the changing tides in America, as Facebook did and as Twitter did and. As every cor- and as Wrangler Jeans did, Wrangler Jeans made a Black Lives Matter statement. So as everyone pivoted on that issue, the NFL didn't lead; they followed on that. Yeah, and and and, that, and that's an, I'm actually also happy you brought that up because I think that the NBA is more leaders than followers. And I don't know if you remember during that whole thing during the pandemic, apparently it was the UFC and the NBA wanted to be the first leagues to do the first steps and then everyone else followed what there's nothing wrong with that i just i just really feel good about my my probably my two favorite sports are the ufc and nba and i feel like you know the ufc has their own problems with their contracts but we can talk about that another day it's really a it's it's pretty awesome that they're, they're leading the way yeah and the ufc was big in trying to get fight island going and trying to capitalize on that opportunity and just a hustler mentality for the most part yeah. like ufc well, I, I just also went wanna, hustler on that yeah i also want to bring this up too and like i i think people are kind of misinterpreting the whole ufc with the contract stuff i think that in general it's not right it's not fair the play the fire should get paid more but they've only been around for 25 years like what other sport has gotten this big, this fast, and put in a position where they're at right now. You look at the NBA, you look at the NFL, all these other leagues have never had problems in the beginning too. Just wait until they get a a, a fighter union. That's what's going to have to happen. They're going to need like a player's union for the fighters, and then that's just going to change everything. Because the UFC is obviously caking off these fighters, and they're just trying to maximize, I guess, in the moment. Because let me tell you, it's coming. The fighters are going to end up having to get um, compensated correctly. And also, let me tell you, you know who the number one person is? The public enemy number one who's really fighting for the fighters to get paid more? Who is it's it? It's Jake Paul. Oh, yeah. that. Okay, this is funny, too. And the, the which, funny... The other, which he's doing it on purpose, but it is a smart move on his part. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny thing because it's like... It, it's the thing where you kind of second guess yourself like you are I, I am all I'm generally pro labor in these situations and I look at Jake yeah, Paul I'm like am I on the right side of this I'm like yeah. it made me rethink a little bit I'm like he's on the right side but he's not the messenger that I want for this and yeah like I hate this dude I, I, I actually like like I don't use the word hate but I think he's a bad person like all this stuff I really do like I don't know enough about him but like his actions just don't jive with me the fact that I agree with him on something actually bothers me it really does it's it's difficult because he's not the ally that you want but he's the ally that you got and so all of a sudden we're like okay Jake Paul is a freedom fighter both in both sides of the spectrum in pro-union and also kind of being white supremacy sometimes so he's also borderline genius though in the same breath He'll go from, so like, I don't know if he just did all this by mistake, but I've never seen someone who did their career trajectory like Jake Paul. Now he's getting huge fights, getting paid tons of money. And I was reading about a, uh, actually, I want to get into this too. Brendan Schaub was talking about, who's a a, a pro UFC fighter or an ex-UFC fighter rather. He was talking about how 
on Jake Paul's most recent fight, he actually sat down with Triller and actually was like, no, we need to pay these fighters more. Like, no one's done that. So I think that he's trying to change his perception in the public eye because he really wants to be a boxer now. So, like, I don't know. whether he, I, I hate Jake Paul. I hate him. But he is doing a beautiful job of trying to change public perception of how he got there. Yeah, this happens all the time with people who are right on one side and it becomes their defining quality, but then you don't necessarily want to know the underbelly of yeah. what it looks like. The perfect example of that is the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, who is the guy who has been championing Goodell's message about employing black people in positions of power, while at the same time is also a huge pro-Trump guy because of financial reasons. And so sometimes when you dip into the underbelly, it it can get a little more disappointing because we're human and we're going to have conflicts of interest and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have hypocrisies like the NFL putting end racism in their end zones at the Super Bowl while also having the word chiefs written right in the middle of said end zone. So sometimes we're going to be human about this stuff. Yep. Um, okay, so did you want to close anything up on that? Because I just want to talk about that Brennan job situation that happened. I got nothing for you there. Um Let's talk about this story because it's more light heartening. If we're going to get the yeah. depressing stuff about unions falling apart in America and racism within sports, let's <laughs> pivot to a nicer story here. Yeah, well, it's light, but it's also crazy. So, man, I've this is probably the most I've ever talked on the podcast. So I appreciate you let me just take all the airtime here. Jeez. I mean, I've got KD and Draymond stuff we can go to after this. So, OK, let's, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's I'll, not I'll say I'll it's it over quick. yet. Yeah, I'll make it quick ish. So. Brennan Schaub, who is a retired UFC fighter, that was the guy I was just talking about with uh, um, Jake Paul. He is really big in the industry now for the UFC. He has like this some really good podcasts. Um, he's really good. He just I like him a lot. I like his takes. I think he does a really good job. He also interviews fighters a lot. He's a comedian. He's he's really out there. He's actually probably much more famous than he was what he is now than when he was a fighter. So it's kind of interesting how that works. So I think he's in LA. I think he lives in LA. I'm pretty sure they're on a, him and his wife are driving down the highway. This happened like, I think yesterday or two days ago, a car hit an 18 wheeler and he's driving past it. And he sees this like seven year old kid on top of the car, waving, waving people down to come help us. So he sees that this is Brendan Schaub gets out of his car and runs over to the car. And meanwhile, he's running over to the car. He realizes that this 18-wheeler hit was a gas truck. So he hit the the car, hit the gas truck, and was just spewing gas everywhere. It was crazy, he says. It was like just like out of a legitimate movie. So he's thinking in his head, like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Like, I have kids. Like, I, I, I could just – but he's like, I have to help these kids. So then as he's at the door, he realizes there's three kids in the car. So one's on top of the car calling people out, and then he realizes that a woman in the front, their mom, died. So the car's mangled, crazy, trying to pull the – he said he was actually trying to pull the door off the – you know, like basically do the jaws of life, but he couldn't because he's obviously not like, you know. Like not, not Hulk. Yeah, he's not the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, literally. He actually made that joke. He's like, I'm not Captain America, so I couldn't do it. So then he realized, so the, the, the window was already broken a little bit. So he pulled, you know, he's pulling all the shards of glass out and he takes one of the kids out who was like, 
this kid was also like 10 or something. He's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And Brennan's like, you're not going to die. Like, I'm go- like, I got you. Then he, but he didn't realize that there was a kid in the back seat yet until he like, you know, he looked around the corner and saw him. And he's like, the kid's like, mom, mom, mom. And the ki- the mom died. And he's getting all choked up because he's like, I can't even believe this is happening. So then he's like, yo, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't like, don't look over there. And then he like instructed some other woman that came over to help to put a blanket over the mom because, you know, she passed away and it was like a really bloody scene. So it was, it was just really hard. And he's like, I I didn't want this kid to see that because he was like three or four. It would have completely messed him up basically. So he gets the kid out, you know, he's like, pulls him out and he, and this woman comes up and is like, take these two kids and run that way. Like just run away because we we want to like keep it away because of the fact there was so much gas. Then the other kid who's on top of the car, he grabs him and he's like, you know, I'm really proud of you. Like you don't know me, but like you're the one who saved you. I saved your brother like, because of you. I saved your brothers. And then they get away and they get into uh, you know safety. And then um, he gives his report to the police officers of like what happened. And then he's like basically like what what happened? Like why? Like, why did this happen? And I guess that, like, the guy driving the car tried, like, tried to, like, kill everybody. I guess he, like, was, he, like, looked at the kids and he's like, oh, we're going to see God today or something. Long story short, I don't know the whole story, but who was really driving because it, it, it was kind of unclear. But the fact that he saved the three kids and he's, like, a legit hero is, like, pretty amazing. And I'm, you know, that was amazing because I actually... You, I, I've been following him for years and I, I love him. So that was like pretty awesome to see the character there. So it's a pretty awesome story. That is awesome. I hadn't heard the story before this. So that's it literally just happened like yesterday. So you'll you'll see it like it's it's a big thing now. Like everyone. So some people were like, oh, he's lying because, you know, that's what social media does. It's but, cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a comedian and this is what he does. So he's funny. He's kind of cynical. So like. People were like, I hope he's not joking. I hope, he, which, I, how can you, how can you joke about this? You know what I mean? It's a pretty serious story. Um, but it's, you know, there's more and more information getting leaked out that it's true. Like, it's like the police, police can, you know, attest to it. Like, there's just more and more information. So it's a, it's an amazing story. And I, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit because I don't know if I would do the same, to be honest. Like, I, I'd like to think I would, but, um, true hero honestly man i i I actually getting me a little goosebumps talking about it yeah for sure that's it is i mean yeah it is a hero story that's kind of what this whole thing is about is about what would you do in that moment and i guess i'd like to think that i would i'd like to think i would but story and i you know I, I give him a lot of credit because I don't know if I would do the same, to be honest. Like, I, I'd like to think I would, but um, true hero, honestly, man. I, I, I actually getting me a little goosebumps talking about it. Yeah, for sure. That's it is. I mean, yeah, it is a hero story. That's kind of what this whole thing is about is about what would you do in that moment? And I guess I'd like to think that I would. I'd like to think I would, but man, I don't know. Gas everywhere. Like, I mean, I think if I saw the kid. If I saw like a young boy or a young girl or a young child like on top of the car, I think that I would be able to. Man, I don't know. Like, I like not, not to totally draw a line here, but I remember when the Boston bombing happened, 
there was this gentleman who was like way ahead of the bomb and it blew up and he ran back and they like interviewed him about it and like it gets me like really choked up thinking about it because it was it really hit close to home obviously for me because I'm from Boston and um, I remember thinking like talking to my wife and it was my she was my girlfriend at the time and I'm like do you think I would do that and she like looked at me like ah, I don't know like I it just it's just a fight or flight thing and it's just so it's so crazy how the human body works there and I uh, I give I give Brendan Chubb a lot of credit for that I really do. Yeah, I, I think about it in my mind just as context matters. And then in my mind, I'm like, yeah. damn, that's kind of unfortunate that I I say that. But uh, that's a fantastic story. And I don't know how to walk away from that. So, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see hear more about it afterwards. But he went on the podcast and talked. I'm actually going to make a video about it on TikTok. And I, I kind of cut up a interview that he gave at, on a podcast um, and I'm going to post it. So if you guys want to watch it, you can check it out there. Cause it's, it's, it, it literally makes your hair stand up on your body. It's just crazy. Yes. But, uh, this is my wheelhouse. Shameless plugs. That's a great way to transition off yeah. of this story. Let's shamelessly plug all our stuff before we get to, I mean, that was kind of a final thought type thing, but whatever else we do, uh, but I want to, I, I, for my thought, final thought, which I'm much lighter heart, I want to completely poop on the Red Sox. So let me know when you want me to do that. You know what? We can roll into that. We'll save the the Katie Draymond stuff for my final thought because I've got oh beautiful. I've got Giannis stuff, but that can come anytime. By the way, I'll just say first of all, read Mirren Fader's book. Everyone listening to this it's called Giannis: The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Or if you don't want to read the book, you can check out a thirty five minute podcast we did today on Take It Easy talking about the Is book. It, do they have an audio book or no? They do not have an audio book yet. Oh. I assume they will at some point, but for now, okay. it's just a regular book. So okay. check that no, out and check out Take It, it Easy. So that check out Take It Easy. Check it out. This guy is now a, a legit savage. He signed a record deal. He's a he's a corporate man now. Sort of. Uh, we are we are part <laughs> of the Believe Podcast Network. So yes, we are excited about that and the lovely. I don't want to clap there. because it might it might hurt the hurt the audio. But I'm clapping giving you a, your a golf clap, clap. little little golf clap behind I'm it pr- i'm proud of you man i'm proud of you appreciate appreciate all the love now to stop being a narcissist myself and basking in that cam your final <laughs> thoughts crapping on the boston red Sox. okay so i am this is the first year actually in like 10 years that I've really kept up with baseball. And I think you can agree with that because last year we would talk, I just didn't know enough. Now I'm like kind of in on it. I like post about it a lot more. I'm act- I actually am finding interest in it. I don't know what, it might be the fact because the Red Sox are good or the N- or the MLB actually has like interesting stuff. Like the Field of Dreams game was so good. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the Red Sox ownership and the Red Sox players are at fault here. The Red Sox ownership didn't make any moves in the offseason. Got Kyle Schwarber and some bum rece- bum relievers. Kyle Schwarber's a real signing, a real trade, but he was He also injured. hasn't played yet. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. And so, but, you know, whatever. Then they basically were playing this game. The, the Chris Sale was their guy, which was their, uh, their acquisition, which I kind of get, but it's still not enough. So ownership needs to get slapped on the face to say you guys ruined the season. Then the baby players since then have like, I think they've, 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 out of like 20 games or something like that, I think it's like they've lost 17 out of 20 or something along those lines while every other team in the division got better. 
So the historically collapsed, whether we think this team isn't this good is a different story because I would agree with that. But that's, there should be a playoff team. That's what I was going to talk about because I they said, should be a playoff team. They shouldn't be. They're not now. They're out of the playoffs. Yeah, they're game back now of Oakland for the second wild card. But the thing I've been saying all year is that I know they aren't as good as their record suggests, but I said the same thing about the Giants, and the Giants still just refuse to lose, and I don't understand it because it's the same crappy team that lost 63 well, it, or lo- won they got 60 better, games. But they got better with Chris Bryant. Like, that's a true, true acquisition. Like, how to light up that lot locker room. Like, the Red Sox, they get Kyle Schwarber, who... I like Kyle Schwarber. I don't want to crap on him. It's actually kind of unfair, but come on. Especially come when on. they said they were going to get Rizzo and then Rizzo went to the oh. Yankees. Okay. So Anthony Rizzo, I don't, so this is what the, the analytics BS pisses me off because these stupid analytics people don't see the fact of like, you know, what actual, so clutch is something that you and I have discussed. I still think it's a truth. It's a thing where, you know, you can choke more than you can be clutch because clutch is just playing well and you know high is level. Clutch moments. is playing your average at yes. high leverage situations. But but your analytics people don't even see the fact that you can choke in those moments too. You can't. They they they, they it does not. Yes, it's on that the numbers numbers program. change in the playoffs across small sample sizes where Cody Bellinger's hitting like one sixteen in the playoffs or something. Yeah, Num- numbers so, change across the sample across Anthony the small Rizzo sample. Is a big game player. Whether you want to tell me clutch is not true or not, he is that guy. He has intensity, all those type of stuff. You're telling me he wouldn't fit in Boston, but they can't put it in their system in their freaking computer program, and they don't know how to you know compute it. So Anthony Rizzo goes to the Yankees, completely charges them up. He's hitting you know I don't know about now, but for like the past few ten first 10 games he's hit like 500 you know and then they go on and sweep the Red Sox and now the Red Sox are out of the playoffs yes out sports radio gas bag the playoffs yes and Boston I had felt they were going to fade all season but I thought they had amassed such a lead that they would still make the wild card that's what I'm saying. They obviously are not this good. You and I can both agree with that. But how well they... Dude, they were on pace for 100 wins at one point. Yep. And uh, it makes my take that we can then add to the wall of shame that the Yankees are toast. Oh, the Yankees. Yeah, we can yeah. we can throw that away because I felt Boston had amassed enough of a lead that if they played 500 the ball way. the rest of the season, they'd still make the playoffs. So and we all know that the Yankees were better than what they were playing. It's obvious. We, we knew that. They just couldn't put it together. Literally since they got Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo has been pretty good. He's gotten better. He was pretty much garbage in the beginning. But the Yankees made real moves. The Rays made real moves. The Blue Jays made real moves. Well, the Blue Jays got Brad Hand. And I love Brad Hand. But boy, that man fell off a cliff after leaving the Padres. But the point I'm trying to get at is that the Red Sox didn't even try. They were the, and, then, and then Hein Bloom's like, oh, you know, who's the GM? He's like, oh, you know, uh... We were in first place that day. We we made moves. You picked up Kyle Schwarber, who's injured, and you got two bums relievers. One reliever, his name is Hansel Robles, has a five ERA as a reliever. It's Let's just a, let that set it, in. It's a fade it's for Boston. Yeah. But all of a sudden, though, I want to add to this to the to the conversation. All of a sudden, which I don't even know where this came from, I saw in. Um, 
Baseball America or you know USA. I can't remember exactly what it was. Some some you know what one of their metrics that Boston has now a top ten farm system. Like I don't even know how that even happens. Uh huh. Well, you can start with Jeter Downs. You got him in the movie. Oh, trade. Jeter Downs is a freaking stud, dude. Yeah, but 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 like you. Oh, dude, I, baseball frustrates me because you can have a good farm system and make good trades. That's why Theo Epstein's the goat because you can still make good trades and build the farm. Yes, yeah, sometimes some, I was going to make this joke earlier when you were petitioning him for commissioner of baseball. Sometimes you have a gut feeling and sometimes that gut feeling is giving Jason Hayward one hundred and sixty million dollars and one of the <laughs> worst contracts in baseball. That's fair. But he's also had more wins than losses. Like you, you're not going to have perfect situations. That's why, like you know. But I, I hear you though. I hear. Yeah, you. I'm, for sure. I'm so big on Theo, bro. I'm so big on Theo. Theo. He, he broke two of the longest. He is the greatest executive of all time. Has to be right. It's. I mean, the fact that he did it at 45 makes it even more remarkable. But I he, mean, he he broke two of the longest championship droughts in baseball. Two of them. I mean, the the only other people I can think of are Cashman with the Yankees, who's, you know, had 25 consecutive winning seasons, or Shearholtz, who built the Braves team that won, like, 14 straight division titles. Friedman for the Dodgers, probably two. He'll get there at some point, but... Oh, that guy on the that guy on the Braves, like, but they didn't win enough. That's kind of a... Dis- if they won, that would be, like, he'd be the go. Yeah, I think he's in the Hall of Fame now, but he's also just not that, like, personable like he just he built the braves i think he built like the champion royals in the 80s too but it was just like a different reason why the reason why i like theo too i met him before in the airport um at logan airport which is the boston airport there's all every time i go there i see someone famous it's kind of crazy like i saw like lance stevenson one time i saw uh roy hibbert one time like it was just i've seen a bunch of people and uh, oh i met flo rida Whatever, we can get into this a different day. But uh, Theo Epstein was there, and at this time it was like 2004, I think. It was before the Red Sox won their first championship, and he was there. And he was, dude, he was like 35 or something. Like he was so young, and I was young, really young. And I went up to him and was like, "Hey, Theo, like I'm a big fan." And he's like, "Oh, hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? You know, whatever." And I remember just asking him like directly, like, like why do you like baseball? I don't know why I said something. I said that like just a weird question and he had a great answer. He go, he looks at me just dead in the face and goes, why wouldn't I like baseball? And I remember just being like, I don't know. And he goes, all right, I got to go, you know, like talk to you later. And for some reason I think about that a lot because it's like, it's that simple. Sometimes (laughs) if you don't like, if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You know what I mean? And it was just so interesting. So that's that's my final thought. Look at you now <laughs> coming back around to baseball at this time in your career. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely back into it for sure. I definitely am. I, I I think that Tatis Jr. has done it for me. I think that the Dodgers have done it for me. I just, I don't The Red know. Sox it's, it's, having it's a, names at the very least after their two years post-World Series that were kind of sad because – you know, you guys are spoiled. Two years of bad baseball. I mean, my gosh, what a what a crime that yeah. is for Boston. While I'm getting yeah. the first good team of my memorable lifetime, about to piss away a giant lead in a, in a, the wild card. So uh, they're different. I I chose cursed sports teams, and I kind of like that now. I guess I just like the idea of rooting for cursed sports teams. 
So that's why you like the Kings. Apparently, I don't know. Hey, that that, that is the 2021 Summer League champion Sacramento Kings and to you. Not only not only is that true, sec, it, they're the only team to win multiple Summer League titles, so suck on that. You're damn right. This is our victory. <laughs> Bring on, I don't know. I don't know. Who, who are they fighting against? Are they trying to outplay the Spurs next year? Are they trying to win 12th place? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, they should be better. They should be better than the Spurs. Um, it should be better than OKC, but OKC's tanking. Um, I don't know. Their three point guards will find a way to win with Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox and Davion. Yeah, Mitchell. they're going to be like the tenth seed or something. They're just like, they, it, it, yeah, they're, I, they're, they're they're competing against the Timberwolves. Yeah, no, the the Kings have been the same team for pretty much the last decade, which is five games out with seven to play in the playoff picture. That's basically what they've been for a decade <laughs> yeah. straight. It's always like, yeah, actually, that's funny you say that because I've also at that time, that's when I'm like the most into King Kings games towards the end of the season. They're like, if they win, you know, like if they win six the in a row, five, yep. they will make it. <laughs> yep. And they never get it. They never get it. <laughs> Not once. All right, let's talk for my final thoughts about Kevin Durant and Draymond Green's interview with Bleacher Report. Because I, th- I was talking about you off air, like, I think our first connecting point of like a podcast that was like an hour long where we just kept bouncing off each other was around Kevin Durant psychology and just the, yeah. the mindset behind Kevin Durant. And there's only so much you can draw from this interview because Draymond Green was asking soft questions um, compared okay, to so what he could have. He was asking some you, softball can, can, questions. Can you ask me what my thoughts are on it? I, I want to give you my quick opinion on it. Let's go for it. Cam, what are your thoughts on Kevin Durant and Draymond Green's interview? It was too PC. Draymond Green is soft now, dude. He is a he is a corporate. He wants to be a analyst now. Like I... I was so pumped for this. I thought it was going to be awesome. But then I realized that that drama they had was like kind of fake. Mm-hmm. It's not as cool like, as we like to think it is. Like like Kevin Durant himself is is a, is like the most interesting guy ever. But Draymond – okay, so Draymond Green was compl- – so I didn't watch the whole documentary because I was – you know, just – I didn't have the time yet. But then I saw a bunch of highlights and I'm just like, I'm not going to watch it now because Draymond Green's asking questions like, why don't you have kids? Like, why is he asking that? It's the stupidest question ever. But Kevin Durant had a great response to it. So Kevin yeah. Durant was carrying that interview. Draymond could have gotten deeper in there if he wanted to, but he didn't he want to. He should have. Kevin Durant's That's the whole point of it. Ke- Draymond Green is not a journalist. Draymond Green is his friend. And so – Kevin Durant was doing him a favor by it, and he didn't want to expose KD per se. He just Fair. he wanted to give KD a platform to talk, and he didn't want to prod deeper. There were some things where I heard it, and I'm like, if I'd been in that moment, I would have asked this follow up question to Kevin Durant, and I would have seen if I could have gotten the answer that I thought was going to. Because there was one quote that was really fascinating where they D- Draymond asked him like, "What was the happiest moment for you in the oh, NBA?" I saw, this. I saw and that. He talked about how like he didn't like the term happy because happy is a fleeting feeling. And I found that so interesting because one, I agree 100 percent like we should be pursuing joy and sustained feelings of waking up fulfilled than fleeting moments of happiness because we'll just live richer lives that way. But Kevin Durant seems like the antithesis of that, that Kevin Durant was the guy who wanted to go win those championships because of not having that fleeting feeling of winning a championship and then leaving because he got it and realized it wasn't as good as he thought it was. 
Yeah. And the quote he has, I'm trying to remember if he wrote it down, but, or if I wrote it down, but he talked about how he did, did, this is paraphrase, but he doesn't want to chase happiness because it's fleeting and I don't want to be happy or sad. I just want to float through life. And I found that interesting because you hear that a lot with people who are going through like depression and anxiety and things like that, where life becomes so the the lows become so low that you just want to stop feeling that. And sometimes that comes through numbing. And we know Kevin Durant has some level of social media addiction, which he talks about, you know, kind of eloquently on the, the video. But personally, personally, I think he, I, I just like, I think what Kevin Durant has done more recently is make me like him a lot more. Cause I feel like he's just proving the fact that I'm a normal dude. I'm just a normal guy that likes social media. I, I, and he said it too. And I thought it was so good. He goes, I don't talk politics. I don't talk anything specific, like anything really that hard. All I'm talking about is the game and the people who hate me goes way deeper than social media. He's so right. That was the part he talked about on social media, which is. Dame Lillard does the same shit I do. CJ McCollum does the same shit I do. Donovan Mitchell does the same shit I do on social. It's just because people are looking for like people are looking after he got caught with the burner account, like people took out their resentments towards Kevin Durant over joining the Warriors and found his Twitter lifestyles as a way to do it. It's the same thing people do to Kyrie Irving over the flat earth stuff. Like, because they don't like Kyrie Irving for leaving Cleveland or leaving Boston, all of a sudden they can point to weird things like his sage burning and flat earth well, theories. Also, and, as- and Kyrie Irving's a different story, I agree with you, but Kevin Durant's an all-time great. When you're that great, you have disdain towards you, just the way it works. And I'm, I'm not saying that's fair, but it's 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 just the way it works. When you're that great at what you do, people are going to find reasons to talk about you more, or hate you more, or just it's just the way it works. Case in point, when LeBron James became universally beloved guy who came back to Cleveland and won, he was willing to pick a fight with right-wing conservative politics because it was something that he could focus the attention towards because he didn't have to worry about appeasing everyone else. And LeBron James found that balance in his life once they finally stopped booing him in every arena during the big three heat. And for Kevin Durant, because everyone was upset at him, and he articulate, I tend to believe him when he says it, like he seems genuine enough where he's like, I, everyone wants to take out that resentment over the warriors. And they point to Twitter habits and burner accounts as a way to do it now. But what's, what's not to believe though. I think it's, I think it's super genuine. I think that why is he doing this interview just to spew you nonsense? I feel like what he said was accurate. And that's why I think it was a good interview. It wasn't because of Draymond. Draymond was just frou-frouing it up. Kevin Durant actually gave like real stuff. Yeah, it's okay because Kevin Durant gave real stuff. If Draymond had been more of a journalist, he could have prodded more, but that's not what Draymond was doing. Draymond was just like, I'll give you you a platform to talk, basically. And we're going to put it on Bleacher Report and it's going to get, I think, like 2.3 million views or whatever it was. And this is your chance to vent a little bit. And I think the part where Kevin Durant like wasn't letting on is probably his depressions and anxieties and not wanting to open that door up a bit. But I don't know enough about Kevin Durant to to say that this is like his singular focus, because I think the reason that Kevin Durant doesn't have kids ultimately like he knows his reasons. But it feels like a lot of it is because he's he likes this lifestyle. 
Like he's not going to. I admit thought he that. had a great answer, bro. I thought he. I thought that was a great answer. Why he said he doesn't have kids. Yeah, he, he's like, when I'm ready in that stage of my life to invite a family in. For people who didn't watch it, he's like, when I'm ready for that stage, I want that kid to... He want him to be his own person and be in a stable situation where he doesn't have to look at me as this like superstar basketball player where he can just look at me as like a parent or something. And he kept saying yeah. he like as his son or t- looking yeah. at it through the perspective of his son. Well, so I, I also want to just say this too. I think it's a really, it, it, I could do this. Do you want to talk about psychology? Psychology of a athlete is fascinating to me. Because what these athletes go through on a day-to-day basis is so extreme that it doesn't surprise me these guys just have like underlying depression, anxiety issues because of how much scrutiny they go with. I literally will see a tweet. I'll give you an example of like Jordan doing something. And I, if you look at the comments on the tweet or even on the Instagram post or Twitter post, whatever, I mean, or um, TikTok, doesn't matter. The first like 10 comments are always about, Lamicky or you know Jordan sucks. Yeah, Russian bots, Russian bots, basically. Yeah. But that's hard to be an athlete and be like, why does everybody hate me? That must take so much practice to get over. And if you don't, you just don't make it. There's a good example of what you're talking about with what it takes to get to the upper levels, like the sacrifices yes. that are required there, and it comes from the the Giannis book and. Everyone knows the story and Giannis and Kevin Durant are so similar because they're now the they they are the kings of their generation. They are the best basketball players in the world of the last six years. And Giannis, we all know that the story of like him sleeping in gyms. And this is the part that was I tried to articulate on the podcast today is I don't want to do glorifying of suffering. That's it's it's wrong to do that because of what his family had to go through. We should not glorify that. But but I don't think you're glorifying it as much as you're just you're just pointing out how unbelievable it is to get to his point where he is now and you feel good for him. Like like I hear you though. If you're like, "Oh my god, that's crazy he did that." But you're really just painting a picture of how it's possible for people to make it out. If you haven't if you have an opportunity, take it. That's why his story is so ridiculous. It's like it's like a billion to one what he did. And that's why yeah. he's such an interesting and person. The example I was going to point to is we know, I mean, most people kind of know like a few details from the Giannis story, like selling trinkets on the side or the story of him sleeping in the gym. Have you heard about that before? No. Okay. So yeah, like this is something that's like just part of the narrative for Giannis is like he was selling trinkets and he slept in the gym because obviously people eat that stuff up about literally yeah. when he was 14, like he'd work out so late into the night that he would just sleep on the mat in the corner of the gym of his team when he was like 14, 15. And the part that we don't talk about enough is the reason he did that is because it was so depressing to live at home and having to watch his mother suffer and watching his dad give up food for the night because he wanted to make sure his kids had enough and they didn't do well that yeah. day, that it was so depressing. And Giannis had such mental health issues at the time. Like Giannis was dealing with legitimate depression, watching his family suffer in that way that he just I don't think didn't want to go. I don't home. think it's depression. It's more than that. Like, that's just like, that's crippling. Like yeah. that's something that you can't escape it. No, like sometimes I think I, I, I think that people don't realize what, what you mean by depression. That, that Dude, like I deal with depression. I have food on the table every day. Like can you imagine what it's like to not have like, 
dude it's the it's the money oh. doesn't buy you happiness conversation yeah. is that I, I love dan levitard said this and i keep it with me on that because it's a good point is that money can't buy you happiness but money makes the down payments towards happiness Money help. It, yeah, well, not having money helps. ends up being a huge hindrance. And this is the part that's tough with Giannis is that if we glorify the suffering, we ignore the fact that they put him through that in a country that also he was going through double jeopardy of not just being like the only black kid mm-hmm. in his school, but also being an immigrant in a country that they basically the third largest political party was the Nazi party in Greece. Like basically Nazis had power in that country at the time Giannis was growing up. And this is something that we don't talk about enough because it doesn't glorify. It doesn't glorify the narrative of Giannis. And yeah, it's something that changed my perspective on Giannis for sure. Like realizing that, Oh, it's, he didn't sleep there as like a cool thing. Like he slept there yeah, cause he, he was yeah, so he didn't depressed sleep there because yeah, he didn't sleep there because he was grinding through it. He did it because he had to for, you know, whether he, whether he was so depressed or his family wasn't, you know, he didn't have a bad, whatever. It's, it's not like or it's he didn't, he, he like, didn't want to make the, the two hour bus, bus, bus walk trip back home. Like he was doing for most of the days yeah, from age. It's 14 not, it's not basically 16. those, those stupid Kobe stories, which RIP to Kobe, but where they're like, you know, he stayed overnight cause he's got that mama mentality. No, it's because he, it's cause he didn't have, he didn't have the money or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not cool. It's not cool that he did that, but it made him into the person he is today, obviously, and he's very fortunate that he had those moments, I'm sure. I'm sure he looks back on those very, very fondly. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult yeah. because there's nuance to the situation, and sometimes sports fans don't apply nuance, hence the fact that I most of my friends rooting for the Padres are really pissed right now that the Padres are falling apart. I'm like, we have a good team for the first time in 15 years. <laughs> We're, yeah. It, how can we not be enjoying this? And it's it's all it's also called recency bias. Yeah, of course. Which is sports, and that's kind of what makes sports and sports radio interesting, or at least Fun, it has yeah. for twenty years. I well, don't know. That's if why it does sports. Now. That's literally what sports radio does. They make fake drama out of nothing. Yes, as we find out, Max Kellerman is leaving first take, and we oh. reflect on that uh, that time in sports. He, he's not uh, from from. <laughs> that's just nice words to say. He got canned. Sort of, I guess. But also, I imagine this was something in the works after he found out that Stephen A. Smith was asking for Skip Bayless from ESPN. And after that, it's a little awkward. So, yeah, well, that was a long time ago, though, I thought. It was last year he was asking. Oh, really? For, yeah, Skip Bayless was in negotiations with Fox and Stephen A. Smith Did was get- asking ESPN to bring him. So they lost him though, right? Like no, he, yeah, Skip Bayless, got, Skip Bayless got eight mil a year for four years from Fox Sports. So he uh, just to do that one show, he gets eight million a year and makes some funny viral clips. But well, yeah, but he also is like the reason why, you know, that's the, he's he, he runs the whole thing. He's him basically and, him and Colin Cowherd. Yeah, him and Colin Cowherd run Fox Sports, basically. But uh, b- back to your original point, the whole thing with uh, Giannis is, is just amazing. And I'm, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. And then he gets to be where he is. And there's a, there's a weird transitional phase for Giannis where um, his brother was talking about this. Like, imagine going from you have to when you're getting evicted from your house, you have to roll a refrigerator on your skateboard two miles to get to your next apartment. Um, they go from that to having 70 million dollars, like without yeah. any bridge of gap in between. It was like a weird switch for Alex and Costas, who 
I think Costas now plays in France, but Alex is, yeah, I think, yeah, going to be yeah, in the overseas. G League. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. Alex is one with the with the Kings. I thought, didn't he? Oh, was he on the was he on the Summer League Kings? Oh, that's I'm that's pretty dope. sure. And, and, and I think that now they're the first four brothers to all have championship. I mean, obviously it's Summer League, but like that's never, dude. The what the what the the Andacupos are doing is just like. I don't know, bro. Like, you know what I mean? You, how can you not root for these guys? No, how can I mean, you not root for them? It's what's funny is that at the time, Thanasis was the one everyone thought was going to be the star because he was the older brother who was better than Giannis in childhood. They thought Thanasis was going to make it to yeah, but, the NBA. Yeah, but then Giannis just, just you know, Giannis, Giannis bulked up and became six foot ten. Basically, he's also he he also is a perfect like. Like he's super long. Like he's ah, dude. Giannis has got like he's the, the perfect evolution of the sport in positionless basketball, where can guard all five positions. You can't tell if he's a guard or a forward or a center. It's literally nothing Cause, like because Thanasis is just like a f- three four. Like he's just a s- small four power forward. Giannis is just like a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, forward and center you yeah. do whatever he wants he's, I'd he's call him a center like I'd call him a center while also being like a point guard yeah this is the next evolution of the NBA like this is so, I mean this is kind of a good place to wrap up but I was thinking about the Steph Curry generation recently because back in 2016 we talked about how like young people looked up to Steph Curry and how there was going to be a massive generation of Steph Curry's coming next what we what we come to find out is no, not everyone can be Stephen Curry. Not everyone can be that kind of shooter because Stephen Curry spent years watching his father play and learning the, the rhythms of shooting there, practicing over and over, experimenting with different forms of shooting in gyms, and all of a sudden gets to college. And unlike anyone in the history of basketball, he is more prepared to be a great shooter. And nobody else can do that. So yes, we have Trey Young, who's the first child yeah. of the Steph Curry generation. But yeah, but but yeah, Steph Curry changed changed the sport with the shooting. But that doesn't mean that everyone could do that. But what I think you're trying to get at is that Giannis, everyone can be more like Giannis than Steph Curry. More people can be that because the supersized or the super skilled five, I think, is what Daryl Morey calls it, is the next evolution of the sport. Because think who. Nate, like of people in the Giannis generation, the best players are Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, Anthony yeah. Davis. They're all seven footers who can do guard type things. And yeah. that seems to be the next evolution of the sport, or at least yeah, it's Embiid's, presently there. Embiid's so different that way because he's like a freaking beast, but he can still move like a guard. It's so different. But, and you know what's, you know what's pretty interesting about all those guys is that they're all from, besides Anthony Davis, are from different countries. I love that. Yeah, I love that about about the sport about basketball. It's really becoming an international game. It's so good for the sport. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you develop these super freaks who can do guard type things. As I mean, Kevin Durant did a lot of it too because Kevin they're they're not yeah, quite Kevin, Kevin Durant. Durant's because they're more big. Kevin Durant's a, a wing, but it's kind of the same mold of this is the next yeah, evolution he's just like, of the sport. He can just like what Kevin Durant is is so different. He can shoot like he's just. There's, I don't think there's anything ever like Kevin Durant. Like he can shoot like 
don't know. I love Kevin Durant. He's the greatest shooter ever that can just shoot over everybody is like the greatest shooter in NBA history, potentially. He's the best offensive player probably in history. That's that's what I would think. I mean, in my lifetime, it's him and Harden. Those are the two I can think of. And LeBron James is just physically stronger than everyone else. Yeah, but yeah, but LeBron James is a has I I would argue has the most complete game of all time. He could do everything. Giannis is right up there too. Giannis, yeah. Giannis and LeBron both have ridiculously complete games. By the way, I, I know we hate doing the LeBron Jordan stuff. And I said on the first podcast, we wouldn't go into the debate, but seeing Cade Cunningham, who is younger than me. Yeah. 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 Say That's that awesome. He's like, like I'm, I'm a go. He's like, I'm a go LeBron. He'd like respect Jordan, but I'm a go LeBron. I'm like, this is going to be normal is acknowledging that generations after can be better than the generations before. And y'all so, got Michael Jordan. So it's Jordan funny you said that. When you said when he said that, it like it was like wow, we're here now. Yeah, that is it. We are at a point now where because Gen Z is starting to assume some sort of influence in sports media and just the world in general, especially like athletes who are Gen Z. Slowly but steadily, everyone's going to acknowledge we were born after Michael Jordan retired. We have no point yeah. of reference to this. We are LeBron James people, and even some are Kevin Durant people now. Like I'm sure there's a bunch of people younger than us who say Kevin Durant's better than LeBron James. Yeah, I I would say that Kevin Durant's as better offensively, but I mean LeBron is a perfect player, like actually a perfect player. He does everything. He he's basically the first Giannis. Like I know I know he didn't do exactly what Giannis did, but he like he's so super strong. He's fast. He can play defense. He can shoot. I mean, the free throws were the only thing that really bought, really kind of hurt him, but he got better with that. Yeah, him and Giannis have really a lot of similarities. Thing. Yeah, they do, for sure. It, those two are the faces of their generations, and across 20 years, the best basketball players are going to be LeBron and Kevin Durant and Giannis and Steph Curry and maybe white boy Luka. Maybe he's coming for yeah. the crown. Oh, he definitely is. He's, he's going to be in that conversation, absolutely. Yeah, him and Zion are going to run that next generation for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, Cam. This has been a fun episode. We we dipped into some random stuff and went into yeah. deep places and shallow places all at once here and laughing at Jamal Tinsley in a dustpan while also talking about <laughs> mental health and racism. So we we dipped yeah. all over the place, I guess. Yeah, it was good, man. I'm, I'm. This was actually, I, pre- preferably, and if I'm being honest, I would prefer this type of con- this type of, um, uh, podcast. I just think it's better. I don't know. These types of podcasts are great when we don't have football to talk about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, hundred percent. If the, if there's like a specific thing we could talk about, it's easier. But I, I don't know. I like this. It's much better than Dallas Cowboys talk, which is what a lot of podcasts are doing right now. So, yeah. Anyways, thanks everybody for stopping in and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.